0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, after every disaster, there comes the time to analyze the response. What lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic could help us prevent the next public health crisis, whenever and whenever and whatever that may be? Also coming up this morning, included in President Biden's massive virus relief bill was $800 million in funding to support, recruit, and retain qualified health professionals and students through the HHS National Health Service Corps. Learn more about it. And spring has sprung. Time to get out into the fresh air with main programs and activities. From the Hancock Park District, Michelle Rumschlag will be here to tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, April 27th, 2021. Says here it is uh, National Tell a Story Day. Doesn't say tell a true story. (laughs) It says tell a story day today. It is also uh, Marine Mammal Rescue Day today. Uh, Morse Code Day thought about doing the entire show in Morse code today, but that seemed like an awful lot of work. You know, Because first I'd have to learn Morse code. I, I have no idea. National Prime Rib Day and School Bus Drivers Day. Big salute all the school bus drivers uh, out there today. Good mornings to you. It is Tuesday, April the 27th, the 117th day of 2021 there 248 days until the end of the year and a lot of folks have been over the course of the past year uh spending long periods of time working from home all right so i want to bring this up first uh first thing out of the gate this morning as you're getting up this morning if you're just heading off to work um the technical university of denmark has determined six main areas that company managers should focus on when developing strategies for remote work in the future. Because they keep telling us that this is going to be the new normal working from home. So the six areas that company managers should focus on when developing strategies for remote work in the future. And these six things can be broken down Into three advantages, those being better work-life balance, greater efficiency, and more control over one's work. And three disadvantages, limitations of remote remote work, uh, uncertainty about the work, um, which tasks need to be solved, unexciting tasks, less meaningful, and insufficient tools, uh, meaning limited access to documents, data, printers, and so on. Uh, researcher christine Ibsen says by analyzing employees experiences based on the six factors we identified management can get an overview of what to keep in mind and when to take action in relation to different employee groups so there you go i know it's kind of deep isn't it but uh if you are uh, working from home or if you are the manager of a business or a company with uh a lot of people working from home. Those are the factors to keep in mind to develop strategies for remote work. Yeah. I just it was kind of interesting. Saw that on the Newswire this morning and thought I would point this uh, point that out. By the way, what do we need for remote work more than anything else? Internet access, right? You can't do remote work without Internet access. Thank goodness this pandemic happened in the middle, you know, during the digital age. I mean, if this has been 20 years ago, can you imagine uh, how uh, devastating the, this would be to the economy? Having all of the shutdowns and, and everything, we wouldn't have been able to do it. We just wouldn't. But uh, in any event. So, internet services uh, is pretty much key for about 900 customers in British Columbia, Canada, the Tumblr Ridge area, internet service was down for um, several hours. Um, Let's see here. It doesn't really uh, say how long. It actually went out at about 4 a.m. on Saturday. And uh, it took a long time for the internet to come back up. And the reason why, and this is This is why this one jumped out at me. This story jumped out at me. A beaver chewed through a fiber cable. (laughs) A beaver took out the internet for uh, 900 customers, Tumblr Ridge, British Columbia. Uh, A uh, spokesman for the internet company said that the beaver caused extensive damage. uh, In a very bizarre and uniquely Canadian turn of events, crews found that a beaver chewed through the cable at multiple points, uh, on a Our team located a nearby dam, and it appears the beavers dug underground alongside the creek to reach our cable, which is buried about three feet underground and protected by a four-and-a-half-inch-thick conduit. So, they, they, the beavers dug three feet to the conduit and then another four-and-a-half inches through the conduit to get to the cable and chewed through that. Beavers first chewed through the conduit before chewing through the cable in multiple locations, they said. It is back up and running there you can add that to the list of things we need to uh, keep uh, in mind or take into account <laughs> we're uh, creating the uh, efficient work at home space. make sure beavers don't chew through the internet cable that's uh, what else is uh, is going on in the world as we get your Tuesday morning started? first first things you need to know this morning by the way um did you notice the uh, full moon last night oh my goodness was that bright my wife and i turned in uh last evening we're heading for bed and uh we get it, it was like did you forget to turn out the lights the <laughs> because the moon was shining through almost had to pull the the uh, curtains in the in the window it was so bright my goodness beautiful beautiful uh start to the morning here and what a difference a week makes uh one week ago last Tuesday we were talking about winter storm warnings we were talking about a half a foot of snow uh, or something uh and today we're talking right a week ago eight inches and today low 80s <laughs> in the uh, forecast you go from eight inches of snow to low 80s in the forecast. That's crazy. What a difference a week makes. But uh, anyway, we were, uh, this was the uh, story that I was looking for. Speaking of the uh, pandemic, we're starting to reach the point, uh, the uh, vaccination effort, when supply is not the main issue. Instead, the issue are those who are hesitant or opposed to getting vaccinated. And the state of West Virginia has come up with a uh, an interesting solution. What do they always say? What do politicians like to do? They like to throw money at the problem. Well, in this case, Republican Governor Jim Justice announced yesterday that his state, West Virginia, will give $100 savings bonds to anyone between the ages of 16 and 35 who gets a COVID vaccine. They get a get a vaccine get a $100 savings bond he said about 52% of the eligible residents in West Virginia have really, have received at least one dose of the vaccine which is pretty much on par the nationwide average of 54% but in order to get over the hump especially with young people who quite often feel you know that invincibility complex i don't need a vaccine nothing's going to happen to me um he said he will pay for these savings bonds using emergency funding provided by the CARES Act passed by Congress in March of 2020 at the start of the pandemic. States have until the end of this year to spend the money they received under the emergency legislation or they have to give it back. So he said, "Well, this is as good a reason as any to spend it or a good way as any to spend it. So 100 dollar savings bond, get the vaccine, get a savings bond." I kind of like the idea. I got to admit, I like that uh, like that idea. Interesting. And uh, finally, among the first things that you need to know this morning, have you heard about this? One of the oldest known bottles of whiskey is hitting the auction block, auctioning off a bottle of Old Ingledew whiskey that it is believed was produced sometime between 1762 and 1802. That's a long time ago. That is finely aged right there in a statement. The company who's uh, conducting the auction, uh, Skinner I'm not familiar with that auction house, Skinner. I mean, usually it's Sotheby's or you know one of those, but Skinner is uh, auctioning off this bottle. The company's uh, whiskey expert what a job that must be. Joseph Hyman said the bottle is thought to be the last bottle from one of jp morgan's sellers you know the financier jp morgan you're familiar with his bank <laughs> um and it, w- it was in one of his wine cellars, the last one it is expected to go for upwards of forty thousand dollars when it goes up for auction on june 22nd so what would you do first of all i would love to be able to have $40,000 like I just drop on a bottle of wine for no good reason <laughs> just because because you you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to drink it right I mean you wouldn't want to open it up I mean that would be far too valuable to actually open up and drink on the other hand would curiosity get the best of you would you have to just see if it was still any good anyway I suppose if you uh, have 40 grand or so laying around with nothing better to do, you can do whatever you want. But that's crazy. Bottle of whiskey bottled between 1762 and 1802. Smooth. There you go. Anyway, some of the uh, more interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. This is
1: ONN. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. The U.S. Census Bureau indicates Ohio will lose one of its 16 congressional districts next year. ONN's Daniel Barnett reports.
0: A state's population determines how many U.S. House seats it receives in Congress, and Ohio was outpaced by other states in population growth over the past 10 years, leading to the lost seat. Michigan, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Illinois, New York, and California will all lose one seat each, while Colorado, Florida, Montana, Oregon, and North Carolina will each gain one seat, Texas. Will gain two. Ohio's districts will be redrawn this year, according to a voter-passed constitutional amendment aimed at reducing the impact of gerrymandering on the redrawing
1: process. Ohio will drop to 17 electoral votes. It had 26 back in the 1960s. A 111-page independent review of the response to protests last summer by Columbus police points to a rift between the department and city leaders that led to confusion and communication failures. Mayor Andrew Ginther says ongoing change is. Well, I think it's critically important uh, that we build trust between the community and police. The report also cited a lack of police training for dealing with protests. Congressman Tim Ryan, a 10-term Democrat from Niles near Youngstown, has announced he's running for the U.S. Senate seat, now held by Republican Rob Portman, who is not running for re-election next year. Several Republicans have already announced their candidacy. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network.
0: Well, of course, after every disaster, there comes the time to analyze the response, what was done well and what needs improvement before the next time. In the post-mortem of the COVID-19 pandemic, there is no denying that the world was not as prepared as we could have been, or as we should have been, and the impact in the U.S. could have been greatly reduced were it not for glaring gaps and inefficiencies in the public health infrastructure. Now, having said that, this is not about playing the blame game because there are alternating camps politically who either want to lay all the blame on the Trump administration and then those on the other side to claim that there was nothing more that President Trump or any president could have done uh, to mitigate this pandemic. Number one, neither of those extremes is actually the case. And as we said, this number two is this is not about playing the blame game. But as we begin to turn our attention beyond this pandemic and toward preventing the next health crisis, we are joined by Dr. Stephanie Zaza, president of the American College of Preventive Medicine. And obviously, Dr. Zaza, we are not entirely clear of this thing yet. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but how critical is it to have these conversations about preventive medicine as it relates to public health?
2: Such a great question. been, I think, really important that we're paying attention right now to the lessons we're learning, both the positive lessons and the negative ones, and thinking about how do we, how do we start building into the future uh, right now? We can prevent future pandemics, uh, but there's a lot to do in that arena, and preventive medicine physicians have the training and skills to, to help lead the way in that. So, you know, we're looking at, at every aspect of that from funding and and public health and preventive medicine workforce training to public health infrastructure development and lessons learned, and, and we can do that right now. So
0: using the current COVID-19 environment, if you will, as a case study to hopefully allow us to do better in the future, what specific challenges could be better addressed through preventive medicine?
2: You know, I think the most important thing that that we as a society have have learned and, and been paying attention to is is an issue that preventive medicine physicians have been working on for many years, and that is the disparities in health outcomes that, that are existing in our population right now, in our society right now, create vulnerabilities that when any health crisis, any additional stressor comes on, those populations always fair worse And we have a responsibility to pay attention to that. And, and, uh, COVID-19 really magnified that. And so now we can't pretend like it's not there anymore. And we really, really have to deal with that right now. The ways to do that though are really complicated. It's not just about access to healthcare, which we do have a problem Mm-hmm. Uh, with in this country. So the we have the best health care in the world, but it's not distributed equally throughout our society. So we have to really pay attention to that and how to fix that. We also have very um, scattered public health infrastructure. We have public health departments in every county, but some of them are very small. Some of them were immediately overwhelmed by what they were seeing in terms of case count quickly with this pandemic. So building a public health infrastructure Um, to help these populations who are most vulnerable and to help move them out of those vulnerabilities so that there's more individual and community resilience when the next crisis comes along is probably the most important lesson we've
0: learned. So you see that as priority one moving forward, the federal government has uh, either spent or earmarked somewhere in the neighborhood of three or $4 trillion uh, in terms of COVID relief. Uh, is, is, and part of that, uh, is is aimed at, uh, targeting issues like public health. Is it, is it the right, uh, are they targeting the right things? What do you see as the key opportunity to rebuild, uh, this pipeline, if you will, to prepare for the next time that we all hope never comes, but we know probably will.
2: Mm -hmm. I think that the initial COVID-19, um, relief funding is an an incredibly important first step and part a very small portion of that is for public health workforce development which of course we think is vitally important but the truth is we need sustainable long-term annual you know year-over-year funding to maintain that infrastructure it's not like you just build a A system and it works forever. We see this with IT infrastructure, right? You can't just build a system. You have to have constant upgrading. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to think about what needs to be our long-term investment in public health. And I liken it to the decades of basic research that were funded by NIH and others for the platform, the mRNA platform that had no you know, they were working on that for many, many, many years, decades. And now in this pandemic, we were able to use it and develop new vaccines so more quickly than we would ever seen before. It was unprecedented. We need to think about public health infrastructure in the same way. Decades of solidity. We need to have infrastructure that's available no, mem- no matter what the health crisis is. So that when that health crisis comes it 's ready to go that act- we can 't just do this sort of surge and recede and surge and recede, or we'll never get there
0: that that actually kind of touches on uh, the other question that I wanted to ask uh, in, and with respect to contributions that have been made. Uh, in advance of this pandemic, that without which this would have been even worse than what we saw over the past year—kind of a a record of success, if you will—to give people some examples of mm-hmm. of how this uh, how this works.
2: Yeah, you know, in my own career, we worked for decades as preventive medicine and public health physicians on changing motor vehicle injuries, and we did that by looking at everything, right? You look at the car, you look at the driver, you look at safety on the road, you look at uh, trauma systems, right? You look at the entire system. Preventive medicine and public health physicians were instrumental in reducing deaths from tobacco-related disease by, again, looking at not just what does the individual need to do. It's not just about changing individuals' from who smoke, but preventing people from starting to smoke. And how do you do that? What are the incentives and the disincentives? So those kind of successes, that holistic look at the individual and the community and the policies and programs that are in place are how we address big, complicated problems like this. And that's what preventive medicine and public health physicians do so well. So it's really important that we think about this, specialty of medicine Mm -hmm. as part of that infrastructure for preventing the next pandemic
0: the challenge of course will be doing all of that without letting politics get in the way which is a whole other conversation (laughs) but uh uh, certainly a point to uh, consider as well again dr stephanie zaza is president of the american Mm -hmm. college of preventive medicine where do we get more information real quickly
2: sure Uh, we are very proud of our um Our new campaign, The Power of Prevention, and and your listeners can find more information at our website, which is ACPM, the American College of Preventive Medicine, acpm.org.
0: Dr. Zaza, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, as part of President Biden's pandemic response bill, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration received $800 million in additional funding to support, recruit and retain qualified health professionals and students through its National Health Service Corps. Joining us this morning is Israel Ali, director of the Division of the National Health Service Corps. And uh, Israel, the carrot you are dangling to these health professionals is the NHSC Loan Repayment Program. Explain what this is.
3: Absolutely. Well, I also want to mention that we not only have our Loan Repayment Program, but we also have an NHSC Scholarship Program, and both of these um, programs are designated to help clinicians and medical students pay off their student loan debt in exchange for a service commitment to underserved communities.
0: The requirement to set up practice in an area that is underserved in their particular specialty. How much? How much flexibility does that requirement provide? I mean, are they able to decide where exactly? Choose from a list. What? I mean, what are the? Uh, how much flexibility do those students have?
3: Well, well the program actually is targeting um, primary care medical, uh, primary care dental, as well as um, mental and behavioral health providers, and anyone who is within those disciplines and providing that type of care would be eligible for the program. Uh, We also have a resource for individuals to visit, which is called our Health Workforce Connector, um, which will allow for individuals to actually see the sites that they can apply to receive loan repayment or actually work in. Um, So this is a great opportunity for people to connect to those sites as well as um, see what what opportunities are out there.
0: It is really interesting uh, because I I know a a lot of individuals uh, from underserved communities, uh, whether that's rural areas, uh, neighborhoods of color, whatever it might happen to be, a lot of times we'll say that is one of the things that uh, that, that drives them into these types of, of uh, professions is the lack of available care uh, in their own experience. So I would imagine for a number of these candidates, potential candidates, it's not really a hard sell.
3: Well, absolutely National Health Service Corps plays a prominent role in the effort of many practicing and underserved communities, particularly those that have a limited access to those primary care services. Um, These services often include um, dental care, behavioral health care, as well as preventative screenings. And those areas generally face high rates of chronic illness. Um, These are all issues that we have seen exacerbated during the pandemic. Um, And the population that the NHSC members serve, these really are individuals who are being impacted the most by the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, NHSC providers have been serving at these healthcare facilities and they have treated and cared for COVID-19 patients and will now be a part of the nationwide vaccination effort as well uh that is uh're so really on the front line
0: yeah that that is uh, certainly worth pointing out because there were some uh who uh looked at provisions like this within that bill that we referenced uh, saying that this really pushes the limits in, in terms of uh what constitutes virus relief but certainly uh the points you make are all valid and, and worth considering we talk about the uh, requirement to set up practice in an underserved area how long uh, are those individuals then required to maintain that practice, what are some of the other qualification requirements?
3: right. Well, as I mentioned before, you must be a a licensed primary care provider to receive the loan repayment program. Mm -hmm. And we have three options of loan repayment programs um, across the NHSC spectrum. Um, The first is our long-running two-year NHSC loan repayment program. Um, Next, we have our NHSC Substance Use Disorder Workforce Loan Repayment Program. And and lastly, we have the NHSC Rural Community Loan Repayment Program, which the last two actually requires a three-year commitment, where our long-running two-year program is something that we've been um, able to provide continuation awards for quite some time which means individuals serving in that two-year program can continue to come back and receive loan repayments until all of their student loan debt has Mm. been satisfied.
0: So a number of uh, uh, opportunities or options available to those individuals. What is the application process?
3: Well, the application process has become very seamless over the years. Um, we have actually have an online process which allows for individuals to submit all of their documents by uploading them into our system. And we also have a partnership with the Department of Ed which allows for any student loan that's with the Department of Ed to be filtered into the application. This takes away any burden of individuals needing to find and sift through their files of the most recent account statements for their student loans. It actually provides a seamless process that can be done minutes. So we're really excited about the opportunity for allowing more individuals to come into our program this year and really take advantage of the American Rescue Plan that has provided us the opportunity to possibly double our um, number of participants in
0: our program. Now, we're speaking uh, mostly about the uh, loan repayment program. As you referenced earlier, there is a scholarship program as well. Is the application process and information uh, on that uh, pretty much similar?
3: It's very similar. Yes, um, we, we, there's an opportunity for individuals to submit their scholarship documents, if not faster than um, our loan repayment process. Because really, there's a need for um, a need for students who are looking to apply to the NHSC scholarship program to just write an essay demonstrating their interest in providing primary care. Um, that may be the um, most the most labor intensive um, practice, but other than that, the submission is very seamless.
0: Now, one of the things that we've been talking about on the uh, program of the past couple of weeks, especially uh, now that it appears that we are starting to get into the home stretch of of this pandemic, uh, we talk about ways in which we can analyze what has happened over the past year and how we can better respond to emergencies like this in the future. We hope it never happens again, but history tells us that eventually uh, it may very well do you see this as one of the ways uh in which this will uh create a better response for public health crises in the future
3: well absolutely i I think the the cornerstone of the public health crisis is also um, beyond states needing to have what they need to do those analytics. There also needs to be access to primary care so we can first understand what are those undiagnosed symptoms that one may be having. And I think that access is really the cornerstone of um, being able to combat any future pandemics.
0: (laughs) Again, uh, Israel Ali is director of the Division of the National Health Service Corps with the Health Resources and Services Administration within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. We'll go through all of those layers. And uh, you mentioned the website where folks can get more information about the uh, alphabet soup of government agencies. You mentioned the website where folks can get more information about this program. Where do we find that?
3: Absolutely. I would encourage all of your listeners to go to nhsc.org hrsa.gov and you can find out all the information and uh, what we're doing around primary care on the national health service corps um thank you so much for for having me today and we look forward to having everyone um in the state of ohio apply to this program
0: more details of course at our webpage go to goodmornings.net and now to our everyday agriculture report this morning It's something that began at the height of the pandemic last year and appears to be continuing into spring of 2021, a growing interest in home gardening. USDA contributor Gary Crawford has more today's Everyday Agriculture.
4: Here's an old song from that classic old musical, The Fantastics, with a couple of gardeners who sing... Life is
3: very if it's very vegetarian. A man who plants a garden is a very happy man.
4: We uh, drag that old song out every so often when we see a resurgence of interest in gardening, and that is what's happening right now. Garden centers, mail order, and online seed companies all reporting record sales.
5: If you look through history, whenever there's been a crisis, there's an uptick in home uh, vegetable gardening.
4: That's Dennis Patton, Kansas State University Extension gardening expert, and he's right. A few examples. <laughs> but, uh, World War I and II had everybody creating victory gardens.
5: And then just here recently, back when the economy uh, kind of tanked back in 2008, We saw the same uptick in home fruit, vegetable gardening, and now we're seeing it with this crisis here, the pandemic of COVID-19.
4: And Dennis thinks there are maybe a dozen different reasons for this. I think
5: for all the reasons a lot of us have been all along. We know where our food's coming from. We know who's touched it. We know what's been applied to it. And homegrown is more nutritious. And it always tastes better than what comes in the grocery store. And so I think it's just all those kind of, we turn to our core values when we get under stress.
4: But in this particular case, there are maybe some deep psychological reasons to plant gardens during this extended stay-at-home situation.
5: People are bored. I think uh, yeah, you know, I'm right. kind of, think a lot of people are trying to do something with their children. And gardening, you know, whether you're growing vegetables or flowers, is a great way to, to get your children outside and away from screen time. I think it's also just kind of part of the control, trying to get some sort of control over part of our life, too.
4: Control. Meanwhile, the demand for garden seeds by garden stores and by consumers has been huge. It's not as bad as the toilet paper situation was for a while, but... There has
5: been a a seed shortage in many types of seeds.
4: But that's starting to work itself out now, and by now, many of us may be buying transplants, starter plants, instead of seeds.
3: So a man who plants a garden is a very merry.
4: Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture.
1: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert.
0: Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Hypothetically, if you were to ever rob a bank, and I know you wouldn't do this, but hypothetically, if you would, chances are you would be smart enough to get in and get out as quickly as possible to avoid getting caught by the cops, right? I mean, that's kind of a bank robbery 101 basic. For one Florida man, however, he decided to wait around to see what happened after the clerk pressed the alarm, ran to the back and called police. Uh, 36-year-old Joshua Snavely decided on Saturday to rob a local Bank of America branch in Ocala, Florida. He executed his entrance perfectly by approaching the teller and sliding a note Demanding cash, but the wheels fell off his operation very quickly after that. Police say the teller with the note then signaled a co-worker who activated the bank's alarm. The two of them then retreated to the back of the building, leaving Mr. Snavely standing there like a total buffoon at the window as they called police. Apparently, he was thinking that they had gone back to the back into the safe to get more money for him. Because when police arrived, they found Mr. Staveley still standing by the window, wondering what was taking the teller so long. (laughs) (laughs) Authorities uh, apprehended and searched him, where they found a notepad with the first draft of the robbery note that he passed to the teller. (laughs) So he had written a first draft, which he had on him. In addition to the uh, note that he passed the teller, he was arrested and charged with one count of attempted burglary. His uh, bail set at $5,000. And if only he had actually been successful at his robbery, he would have had money for bail. But alas. Elsewhere in the broken news this morning. What's the old saying? That uh, criminals always, always return to the scene of the crime, but it is usually not twice in the same night. Two unidentified men entered a Denny's restaurant in Evansville, Indiana, around 2 a.m. on Wednesday morning this past week. Uh, The uh, two men allegedly went into the kitchen and prepared some eggs. (laughs) They didn't steal anything other than the food. They went to the uh, kitchen, prepared some eggs, and after eating their food, they left. But just before 3 a.m., the same two men reportedly returned and began preparing a second batch of eggs. (laughs) and that's when a worker at the restaurant arrived on the scene to open up for the next day and confronted the suspects the two men reportedly left while the worker called police as of this past friday the two men had not been identified but uh, if and when they are they will reportedly face charges of criminal trespassing and theft but here's the interesting twist on the story it appears uh, the, uh, the people who are in bigger, or the person who is in even bigger trouble uh, are the uh, workers at the restaurant from the night before who apparently left the place unlocked when they left because there were no signs of forced entry. They just came. it just wandered right in the open restaurant, made themselves some eggs, and then came back again because they got hungry again. U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers uncovered $4.3 million worth of methamphetamine earlier this month in a tractor trailer hauling fresh pickles. <laughs> I just thought it was it was funny that they found uh, the uh, drugs in a load of pickles. The uh, drugs, which uh, Border Protection officials in South Texas described as funky pickles, were found hidden among... The uh, cucumber pickles in 114 plastic wrap packages. The uh, hauler contained 217 pounds of contraband. Hidden among the pickles. Uh, Speaking of uh, drug busts, Florida police say a man tried to sneak pills and opioids into a jail using his prosthetic leg. (laughs) Uh, Deputies in Largo, Florida, pulled over a vehicle uh, and arrested Keith Adams for having a drug pipe. Uh, containing cocaine during his arrest. Um, they Once he got to jail um, and they searched his person, uh, deputies say they found Xanax and fentanyl hidden inside of his prosthetic leg. It would seem like that would be a safe place to hide your drugs, but no. He now faces three felony charges in addition to two other nar- narcotics cases <laughs> that are currently pending. <laughs> was not a good day for that guy. It seems such a great uh, plan. Speaking of drugs, this is crazy. A kindergarten teacher in Virginia accused of using drugs in her classroom at school. Now, the only good thing about this is that the kids were at recess when Sybil Billy, at Lakeview Elementary School in Colonial Heights, Virginia, uh, decided decided that she needed a little pick-me-up and pulled some uh, cocaine out of her desk and did a couple of lines right there while the kids were out playing school officials say they take the safe environment of their schools seriously some parents said they were surprised to hear about miss billy she was a great teacher <laughs> she now faces a f- uh, charge of felony possession of cocaine she was arrested while the kids were at recess they go out to recess with one teacher. They come back with a substitute. A crazy story. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, this from the international file: an 85-year-old man in Italy uh, got in trouble with the law. He says he broke the coronavirus lockdown rules in that company, uh, in that country, uh, to meet with uh, <clears throat> ladies of the evening twice because. Of the vaccine, 85-year-old man, uh, Italian man was fi- was fined uh, the equivalent of about $1,200 for his double breach of uh, virus lockdown protocols. He told arresting officers that the vaccine shot made him more virile. so he just had to get out. <laughs> I didn't know that was one of the side effects. <laughs> now. I'm thinking that they should publicize that. If that indeed is one of the side effects, they should publicize that. I mean, people who are resistant to the vaccine might think twice, might think again about this. Uh, Police said his response was amusing, but he was fined nonetheless. uh, As of right now, residents of the country must remain home between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. except for essential business. I would think you could make the argument that that would be essential business. But I digress. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. Uh, This update in the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service
5: FM online at WFIN.com, and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices.
0: Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. And this is really interesting. If you have noticed, you have been spending more and more money at the grocery store the past few months. You are not alone. The monthly consumer price index released last week by the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that food prices have risen by 3.5% over the past year and that's pretty significant three and a half percent higher than the rate of inflation significantly higher than the overall rate of inflation the usda notes that between march of 2020 and march of this year the price of meat rose by 5.8 percent poultry is up 4.4 percent and fish and seafood 5.3 percent so those are some pretty significant Gains for the staples of most American diets. The cost of eggs has increased 4.7% from a year ago. The price of dairy products, 1.6%. Fruits and vegetables now cost 3.8% more on average than they did a year ago. And the price of non-alcoholic beverages are up 3.2%. Cereals and baker bakery products are 2.6% more expensive than they were last March. The increases in price at the store are all spurred by the uptick in prices of key farm products, and the Bloomberg Agri- Bloomberg Agriculture Spot Index. <laughs> that is a mouthful. the Bloomberg Agriculture Spot Index, which tracks all of those prices, had its biggest surge in almost nine years just last week so if you were thinking that with the end of the pandemic in sight that we might be in for some relief in these grocery store prices it doesn't look like that is the case the uh, prices biggest surge in almost nine years last week alone and experts say that they are likely to keep rising so the long and short of it in all of those numbers the basic takeaway you're gonna to have to start budgeting more and more of your monthly income toward food now this is more like it the uh, weather over the next couple of days were temperatures in the 80s spring has sprung michelle rumschlag is here from the hancock park district it is time to get outside. Get into yes. the fresh air. You should always
6: be outside. Well, you know, you don't need 80. And 80s a little too it's a little too soon for I don't need 80s in April. <laughs> I don't. Like <laughs> But like then you're, 70. You're a
0: snowbird, so we know that. No, I do like <laughs> but, I do
6: like it warm. I don't like my my heat in the summer. But no. I don't just, just I was saying earlier spring. we're,
0: we're going to go, we go from you remember last week we were talking about wind chills and eight inches of snow yes. to heat indes- uh, index no. and uh, temperatures in the 80s this week. So, crazy. June, but, you
6: know, once school's out, then it can be.
0: May May is coming up, and you actually have <laughs> programs to talk about now.
6: Yes, that uh, is awesome. I'm so excited. Um, yeah. Once the mass gather thing was lifted, we decided, you know, um, as of May first, mm-hmm. if you've been wanting to rent a shelter or things, May first, we're going live.
0: So that's the that's the that's thing. the first thing. Yes, May first so is May the So May first
6: for shelters, the lodge, everything. Okay. We're still on. We're still on restricted with numbers. You can call the office. Um four two five seven two seven five to find out what that is because that's not my area I just know it, but we're you still can limited start reserving
0: those. you can start reserving
6: okay. as of May 1st all and right so and remember it's a year-to- date so if you're looking for something either later the summer or fall mm-hmm. or next year it starting May or really anytime next year once yeah. once May first hits okay it'll be like like for you know those playoff tickets that everybody wants to get <laughs> that's and, right. and repeat that's yeah right.
0: So, and if you've been so, holding off on that, uh, just know that those uh, that'll be open on may first. May first. what yes. is uh, what is going on in the month of May that's actually physically going on now? Yes, I know. So uh,
6: we have a few things kind of happening. Um, on, coming up on Saturday, May 8th, we have our first archery program of the season. And this one's going to be for youth. So, this is for kids ages 9 to 13. And uh, it happens at Oakwoods Nature Preserve at Dold Lake. Um, so, that area off of the front parking lot. Okay. You take that little trail kind of back that way. Um, and it's just all your archery instructions. So, we've had this for, oh my gosh, I don't know, five, six, seven years now. It's very popular. We give you all the instruction. It's ten dollars a kid. We already have a few signed up, so uh, maximum of ten. I think we had four signed up as of the, the other day. Um, it's at one o'clock, so one to two. Get your kids outside. All right. Again, you know, and most of our things. I don't want to say they're all outside. We do have some things inside. We're still limiting numbers, though. We're increasing our numbers. So before we already had like our story times. Um, Where we had them as nine, you know, per story time. Now we're doing small groups. So when you sign up, I know I keep changing things of how we're doing this, but you're signing up like for your little group and then we'll space you out. So we're taking up to seven groups per time slot. We added an extra time slot. So our next story time is going to be Monday, May 17th. That's our wee ones. So that's geared for kids ages three and under. But if you've got a four or five year old, bring them along, they'll enjoy it. So we have our times that normally run 10, 11, 1, 2, and then we added a 3 o'clock because we were filling up. But 10 o'clock for that time is already full. We already have our seven groups. But the other spots have have openings. Again, just hop online. It's still free. We just want to know how many people are coming again. We want to still spread you out, not have... You know, tons of people coming out. Not take
0: any chances with that. So
6: with that, so yes. Yeah, so if we're doing anything inside, um, we're still kind of re- requiring um, registration so we can still keep a hand on numbers. But mm-hmm. again, we're increasing. You know, we've looked at everything of right. what of what right. we can do. So that'll be happening okay. on, on Monday, the seventeenth. Also, want to pull a little plug out there. I guess reminder: we will not be having the fish festival for this year. So that normally takes place place the first Saturday in May. Uh, We still don't want a mass gathering of people. Um, I mean, you could definitely go out and do fishing on your own any of your lakes any of the times. Just follow local fish regulations. Okay. So, so people have been calling. So we will not be having that this year.
0: Better safe than sorry.
6: Right. Just we don't want to have a lot of people, and you know, we we can't guarantee that everybody will stay spaced. You know, Mm -hmm. around the lake. So. Look for next year. I think we're on to where anything that we're kind of pausing this year, um, and there's not too many things. We're still not doing our open houses because we, again, can't have too many people inside. But Mm -hmm. just know that will not be taking
0: place this year. All right. Uh, Anything else that we need to uh, mention uh, coming up in May? Because, again, (laughs) uh, we're talking about in-person programs In-person programs, right. So we have, you know, if you go
6: to HancockParks.com, get on the calendar. So that has things – through the month of May. So we have some story times. We have our planetarium, which actually only has one time slot left. So we've had people sign up for that. Okay. Um, But summer camps are on the website. Summer camps. So June, July, August, we have our adventure day camps, which are the camps that we offer for six to 12 year olds. $15 a kid, nine to three. We have two weeks we do, one in June, one in August, variety of parks, variety of topics. So, you know, get on those, get I would get imagine. registered we've had a few a lot of our younger age ones we have a toddler camp and a preschool one that are starting to get numbers mm-hmm. um the other ones haven't hit just yet but i think everyone's just well getting I, like hey we're doing everybody's doing camps now i think everybody's yeah. deciding they can do in person things right or maybe yeah. they did we didn't do anything last summer with camps we mm-hmm. we we had to make the decision in may and everything was still kind of crazy yeah you know looking back we maybe could have but
0: We're doing them this year. Doing them this year. And uh, again, we were talking before we went on the air uh, with the uh, new guidelines for outdoor events uh, likely to be out today from the CDC. uh, That's going to trickle down and uh, that's going to change things more than likely. And my guess is you're going to see a huge spike in demand the minute you know, everything gets the go-ahead,
6: right? And so, so we're, you know, if we're inside, we're still following, you know, what what the mask mandates are. Mm-hmm. So those that are ten and up, you know, need to have a mask if you're going to be inside. So if, it, if if we're inside for camp or our story times or the planetarium, yeah. So we've always followed that, whatever whatever comes mm-hmm. down through, you know, those kind of protocols. That we're following, but we're realizing we can have, again, little larger groups. If we're outside, we can space, and we'll be following that if, yeah. you know, we'll keep kids, you know, spaced, and we're still cleaning and things like yeah. that. So, As
0: it uh, relates to camp, though, those openings, again, there are only so many of them, so right. probably best to jump on those uh A S A P. Yeah. Uh, and they because... normally
6: fill anyways. Right. So not having exactly. a, a year maybe last year of doing <laughs> anything outside. I mean we still had some programming, but again they were limited numbers. Mm-hmm. So now we're gonna be able to do again more things. And then once everything opens up, then we can do those those open houses. So those are still on a pause. <sighs> We're hoping, you know, <laughs> we <laughs> I know. can it's, get back to the Discovery really Center or the McKinnis House. I mean, we haven't been to the McKenna's House since last February yeah. to do things. So, so, you know, we're still doing some virtual things. Those will kind of be going away a little bit because we are going to be getting into in-person programs. We're excited. I'm excited. We're having some schools be able to come visit us. We're visiting some of the schools.
0: Awesome stuff. So
6: we're going to be, you know, a little bit busier that okay. we... There's still some things on there. Head to our YouTube page. You can always go back to reference those. But we won't be doing as many just because we're going to be doing in person. Bottom. And, and people don't want to watch a screen anymore. I
0: mean, on. <laughs> you want to be
6: doing it for real. <laughs> Especially with the weather like it's yes. going to be
0: this week. Uh we'll definitely get that taste of getting back out there and uh, again bottom line uh, check out the website for all of that uh, information uh, updates and so on we've got it linked up at our webpage goodmornings.net again Michelle Rumschlag of the Hancock Park District thanks very much for dropping by we appreciate it thanks for having me and that will wrap up our podcast for today I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program as always remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage goodmornings.net we are always on 20 4 7 on the world wide web coming up tomorrow on the program longtime automotive supplier nissan brake has a new name and along with it comes greater opportunities for the company and its Finlay operations so until tomorrow morning that is good mornings for this morning now that you've had a good morning go on out and make it a good day and you're back here tomorrow